A burning bush, a ray of light, a tray of bread, a still small voice. Sacred experiences provide essential components to our spiritual DNA. And of all the sacred moments throughout all time and history, not a single one of them have ever been anecdotal, never once for show. In God's abundant mercy, He provides us meaningful opportunities to commune with Him for our growth and understanding. And all of it fits perfectly in His grand and eternal design, which is to bring as many of us back home as possible. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding so that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I think to prepare for a spiritual experience, I would go out of my way to research it and read in the scriptures and pray and figure out exactly what I'm about to do. I tend to prepare for a spiritual experience when I'm on the move, um, taking a long walk, uh, thinking about what I can do. I would prepare beforehand. So the temple or the sacrament, I would pray and read the scriptures just so that that experience doesn't sneak up on me. God knows me well enough to know that I would need a little bit of help to recognize it in the first place. Um, so I think just being open and willing to listen to Him, even in situations where I wouldn't usually listen to Him or expect to hear from Him would be the best way that I can prepare for those. Welcome everybody, thank you for being here today. Uh, our topics of discussion come from our studies in Exodus chapters 18 through 20. And the first topic we're gonna discuss is preparing for sacred experiences. And the second topic is God is merciful. And to help us with our discussion, we wanna first welcome back our scholar, James Goldberg. Welcome, James. Good to see you again, Ben. James is a writer and historian. And seated next to James, we wanna welcome our special guest, Brother Jan Newman. Welcome, Brother Newman. Great to be here. Brother Newman is the second counselor in the Sunday School General Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We're excited to hear from both of you. So let's jump right into our first topic, which is preparing for sacred experiences. Brother Newman. Well, I, I think back to my childhood and my family had a theater and we had the, the movie 10 Commandments come through there <laughs> once a year, it seemed like. And it was just fascinating me as a young man. And probably the most fascinating part of that movie is Mount Sinai. When the children of Israel go there and they arrive and Moses goes to the top of the mountain. Now, some of the doctrinal things there were not quite correct, <laughs> but it always fascinated me. And now we're reading about it here in the scriptures and come follow me. And I'm just really excited about that. All right, thank you. James, you wanna give us a little context before we jump into this? Yeah. If you remember back when Moses was first called as an outcast living in the wilderness, God appeared to him in this burning bush and he saw this strange sight and went toward it. And, and God calls him and he kind of goes, who am I? And the Lord's answer in Exodus chapter three, verse 12, it says, and he, that's the Lord said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And I think there's a real lesson for us there in my life some of the most sacred experiences have been like the burning bush. They came out of nowhere, they came to me. Others are like Moses' return to Sinai, where I see a milestone coming and I have a chance to prepare myself for that moment and to enter into God's presence or service in a different way. All right, thank you. And from the audience, 
What are some sacred experiences that you are looking forward to in the near future? Blake. Uh, becoming a priest someday. Wow, that's a big one. How old are you, Blake? I'm 14. 14 years old. Why, why would you say that's a sacred experience? Because you can uh, bless the sacrament and do other things. Have you seen other uh, individuals in your family prepare for sacred experiences? Yeah, two of my sisters have gone on a mission. That's another great example, another sacred experience. Okay, Blake, what are you doing right now to prepare for becoming a priest? Uh, going to church and uh, preparing the sacrament as a teacher. That's awesome. You know, and that's something that um, as we, because we jumped ahead, Moses has this sacred experience in chapter 20. Let's backtrack a little bit, because there's a process, well, right? Right. When he receives the Ten Commandments, that wasn't one of those surprising things. That's like when you're going on a mission or, or becoming a priest or going to the temple for the first time, right? He knows he's going to enter into God's presence. So when we look back at chapters 18 and 19, we see all kinds of patterns of how he prepares. Okay. Okay. Brother Newman. Well, I, I think of, of missionary service and Blake, that's not too far out either, right? After you become a priest, uh, you'll become an elder and you'll be preparing to go on your mission just like your sisters. And you saw how that's affected them. They're home now, I'm assuming. Is that right? Did you see any change in them? Amazing, right? You actually like them now, <laughs> which is fun. Uh, but, the, you know, I've served as a mission president in the Nebraska Omaha mission. And um, as the missionaries came, you could tell that they were a little apprehensive about what was to come. But... One thing I found as they left their missions and was really great because we served in Nebraska, they could always come back. And they went back there because it was a sacred place to them. And it made me think about the waters of Mormon and why the people, why it was so sacred to them. And it's because that's where they found God. And I think that's probably the way Moses saw the Mount. He went there, he had the sacred experience, and then he was going back. Have you had a chance to go back with some of your missionaries to Nebraska? Yeah, I've been there with my family. We have a lot of friends there. We've been there with missionaries and uh, we have mission reunions where we return and come together and find each other again. Very, very uh, beautiful experience. Why do you think those reunions are so special? It's because we were in the fire together. Okay. Right, we were out preaching the gospel, but it was hard. But when we came together and we could share those experiences and I think just like Moses and Jethro, right? They came together and they rejoiced together because of what they'd seen, what they experienced. And that's really, I think the first pattern we can see here is that as you're approaching a sacred experience, reconnecting with people who are important in your lives, having those memories again is a big part of preparation. So Moses went to deliver the children of Egypt. His family didn't come with him. It was dangerous, mm -hmm. right? When he gets back to Sinai, that's when his wife, Zipporah, his sons, Gershom and Eliezer, and his father-in-law, Jethro, all come. And they have this beautiful reunion. How do we do that, whether it's mission, baptisms? Because we do see a pattern of coming together today. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's a very natural thing to do. And what we should do is realize that's not separate from preparation for a sacred experience. That's part of it. Okay. To reconnect with important people. Being in this 
Latter-day Saint culture, do you think sometimes there are those that could feel isolated if they're not a part of it when we do have these gatherings? Or what's the solution to, to help all those that are involved, whether they share our beliefs or not, feel a part of this reunion? Well, I, I think it's important that we reach out. And a lot of times it's important to explain what's happening. For example, the temple experience. Sometimes we have friends or family members that aren't a member of the church. And to explain to them what will happen and that there'll be all, we pre prepare all these other opportunities for them to participate in this sacred experience. I think that's really important okay. that we do that. I think when I went on a mission, my dad was not happy I was going, right? <laughs> that was a sacred experience I was looking for, but he had concerns, he was worried. Since we've got Jews on one side of the family, Sikhs on the other, and Latter-day Saints in the middle, <laughs> um, it still was an important part of my preparation to find times to connect with him okay. before I left, right? And I think if we're both willing to, to recognize the other's worried and put that aside a little bit and find those moments to share and connect anyway, I treasure those memories. Have you guys ever had an experience like that where as you're preparing for a sacred experience that you've had to really be mindful of those that may not share our same beliefs or faith? And how did you include them in that preparation process? Tom, go ahead. I think of the time when my wife and I got married and were sealed in the Idaho Falls Temple. Her parents had been active and were temple goers, but my parents had never gone. Even though they were members of the church, they had never prepared themselves. So we had to explain to them why they weren't gonna be able to be with us, but someday in the future, that might happen. Why was it important for you to have your parents there, Tom? They're my family. And you wouldn't wanna do that without them being there. Did you feel that when he says, they're my family? Brother Newman, why is it so important that we include our families in these moments? The product of the church is families. And it's all about helping families return to Heavenly Father, not just individuals. And even in situations, I think it's a little frustrating sometimes, there are people that aren't in a family unit. And family units are very different these days. And that's okay, but we know that when we are faithful to our covenants, there will be a time when we will all be part of the family of God. And every desire and every, everything we want to have in a family unit will be given. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So James, you talked about a, a series of patterns that we're, that we're following to get to this sacred experience. What comes next in the life of Moses? Yeah, as he's reunited with family, that becomes a springboard to, to another principle, okay. which is when we're approaching a sacred experience, it's an opportunity to review and assess our lives and commitments. So Jethro, his father-in-law, can be this figure for him to say, how's it going, Moses? And he notices that every problem in the children of Israel, it's all coming to Moses. And when Jethro sees what Moses has been doing, we get this beautiful passage that I think speaks to us now. In Exodus chapter 18, verses 17 to 18, it says, And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. 
thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. So part of preparing for sacred experiences is this assessing how we are and making room for the sacred. When you think about what Jethro said, he said, the people you're gonna wear away and the children of Israel are going to suffer. And he said, you've got to take some of this load off and allow others to help out. Because they're all coming to, everybody's coming to him Every person, for everything. For everything. Okay. And I think you think of the counsel recently given by uh, the brethren, let's let the Relief Society president and the elders quorum president take some of the load off of the bishop. And they're willing to do that. And that's been a little bit challenging for them even. But I think the most important thing is the members have to be okay with that. They have to look at this council as if it's for them as well, right? I'm gonna to go to the elders quorum president. I'm okay going to the Relief Society president. The heavy things, I will still go to the bishop. So you have a very visible calling in the church. Mm -hmm. Between being a, a husband, a father, a grandfather, how do you manage what you're trying to do in the church and business to show that this is my priority? Well, my wife helps me a lot, right? <laughs> I remember in my early career, I was traveling a lot. And I asked her what was going on, and she says, you know what? Um, when you come back, sometimes you get in our way. Because we've kind of, we have this plan of how we work when you're gone all the time, and when you come back, you're kind of in, my, in our way. And I went, wow, I gotta change something here. But she, she would say it in a kind of way, she wasn't trying to be mean, but she said it in a way that really made me stand up and think, I'm really getting in the way of my wife and my children. That's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So I had to make some adjustments there. Thank you for sharing that, yeah. really appreciate mm -hmm. it. You know, it's interesting as we're following this pattern, we, we get a really uh, clear directive from the Lord that Moses is telling him in verse 10, he says, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. And I, I love this word sanctify. Um, and I wanna talk about that. We had a viewer uh, pose a really good question that I'd love to get your thoughts on as we are preparing for sacred moments. Hi, I'm Caitlin from Draper, Utah. And I noticed that the Lord asked the children of Israel to sanctify themselves before he visited them. What does that mean? And how can I prepare myself for that sacred and spiritual experience? That's a really good question. That's a great question. <laughs> You know, part of being here on earth in this uh, telestial sphere is we are dealing with the natural man, right? And there's all these things that press upon us, the world itself. And putting off the natural man, as is taught in the Book of Mormon, is one of those things that we can do to sanctify ourselves and prepare ourselves. I think, too, we need to take really seriously the promise that we can go into the presence of the Lord. That's what's happening on Sinai, right? Moses is going up into the Lord's presence. You think about Joseph Smith, without being conscious of it, he goes through a process of sanctification as a young man. He thinks about his sins, the sins of the world. He studies the scriptures, and he ends up entering the Lord's presence in the grove, and then bringing the people into the Lord's presence in the temple. It's the same process. That, that promise is very literally true. What a great comment. Thank you for sharing. This has been a wonderful uh, discussion on our first topic, preparing for sacred experiences. To me, mercy is the kindness that I feel from God when I 
don't feel like I deserve it. I think once I understood what mercy really meant, it made it a lot easier for me to go easier on myself when I make mistakes. Because I think if God himself can forgive me when I mess up, then I should be able to forgive myself as well. I have experienced God's mercy in my life throughout my life. Uh, and I'm very thankful for it as I make mistakes in my marriage or in raising children or even in my church callings. I feel like uh, my Father in Him has been very merciful in helping me get in the right direction. So our second topic is God is merciful. Now, James, you want to give us a little context on how we're going to see God's mercy within these chapters? Yeah. So we'd talked about preparing for sacred experiences and Moses entering God's presence. And that's what God wants for all of us, that we can come into his presence. He wants all the children of Israel to come be in his presence. And they're kind of scared. Okay. They're, they're not ready. We get this sense again and again. One, one passage is in Exodus 20, verses 19 through 20. And it, it says about the children of Israel, and they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. They're just not so sure, feeling the awe of God's presence. And God is not angry with them. God has, has compassion and forgiveness. He's gonna get them there in his time, right? Okay. So we have Moses replying and it says, and Moses said unto the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. So in other words, God is gonna teach you how to come into his presence. And the, the Ten Commandments that Moses receives on Mount Sinai are part of that process. So, so God loves us. God has compassion on us when, when we're afraid of him, when we run away, and he calls us toward him with, with these commandments. Okay. Okay, and I know what you guys are thinking. Commandments, mercy, what's the connection? So I first wanna just ask you, what other thoughts do you have on commandments? Kristen, you had a comment. So when I hear the word commandments, I think, okay, I have to do this, but also I'm a little scared because what if I mess up? But then also it's his way of showing us that he loves us. And that's the reason why he laid it out so clearly and precise. And there's no gray area. It's very obvious. This is what you should not do. And this is what you should do. And if you do that, you will be happy and you will live a better life and find joy. I like how you mentioned how uh, sometimes it does add a little pressure when, the, when you hear commandments like, oh, I have to do this. But then it is a process where you learn and you grow. And, and hopefully through this discussion, we can see how God's mercy is manifest through the commandments. Yeah, I think in the commandments, God shows us something about himself. In Exodus chapter 20, verses five through six, God shows us something about himself and about how commandments work. It says, starting in the middle of the verse, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. I think this verse where the Lord talks about iniquities of the fathers passing on through generations is, is not necessarily just something that, that God is punishing, but it's describing a real thing that happens. My mom, when I was a kid, used to point out sometimes to me, look, 
when we make mistakes, there are consequences, and those consequences can cascade down, okay. right? The way I think about the world and react to the world isn't just based on my choices, it's based on my grandparents, great-grandparents, parents, and, and what I received from them. The part that I really love is in verse six, and it says, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Couldn't that even apply to those who may have been under this maybe condemnation for generations? There's nothing in the Lord's voice there that says a person can't change and repent, come unto him, keep the commandments, and he shows mercy to them. And I think sometimes we think of God in the Old Testament as punishing. In this case, I would say God is warning right? Okay. God is describing, describing is a, good word a, thing, a thing that happens. Mm -hmm. And if you're the one <laughs> who feels like you're in the third or fourth generation, that never needs to extend. You can be the one who, who finds God's mercy by turning to the Lord, and he teaches us a new and different way to walk. So Brother Newman, as a, as a mission president dealing with missionaries, how did you see, how did you help them see the, the mission rules as, look, I'm showing you that I love you um, and that these will be blessings going forward? Yeah, and I, I taught, tried to teach some missionaries that, you know, the mission rules aren't commandments, right? Mm -hmm. They're different than the commandments of God, but they're things that will keep you safe. Okay. And you will give the Lord a sign about your willingness to be obedient and when they realized that that would bless them and keep them safe, uh, it changed the way they looked at things. They really saw those as a blessing, and it never was after that, oh, I gotta keep the rules. It was just like it became part of who they were. And I kind of look at that way with the commandments. I don't sit down and review every commandment every day. Mm -hmm. They become part of who I am. Okay. So as we talk about the commandments, we've, we've heard blessings, we've heard mercy, which is the topic, God is merciful. Can we get a little bit of uh, clarity between what's the difference between God offering blessings and God showing us how merciful he is through the commandments? That's a great question. And I, I think about, for example, the Sabbath day, and there's great blessings that come from that. But I, I think of my own life, and, and I remember as a young person when people were talking about the restrictive things, man, the Sabbath day one, as a young man, that was a hard one for me. And now as I work all, all week long, some long days, some difficult days, and I think of the mercy of the Lord on, on Sunday, I'm not kidding, I can't tell you the number of times I have literally in my morning prayer on Sunday, thank you for this day because all the things that I've had to deal with this week are now gone and behind me. And I love what President Nelson taught. Instead of making this big list and thinking of it restrictive, I can't do this, I shouldn't do that, what is the sign I'm going to give the Lord to show my love for his mercy in giving us this commandment that will bless our lives? That really turned it into, how can I show that his mercy towards me is very much appreciated? I love that, thank you. It's almost like the mercy in the commandments is God is saying, I'm giving you an opportunity for me to be able to bless you. As we learn in the New Testament, if you love me, keep my keep commandments. My commandments. Mm -hmm. Here's the commandments as a sign of mercy. As you keep them, I'll bring in the blessings. Yeah. Let me tell you about the hardest of the 10 commandments for me to keep. 
is I'm really interested. In <laughs> is number ten. <laughs> Thou shalt not covet. I don't covet people's stuff. They can have it. I don't covet their families. It's wonderful for them. It's great for me. I covet people's skills, right? When when somebody's got just a talent or an ability. When I was a playwright at first, I was always so depressed when I'd see a great play. So depressed because I think I can never do that. Having that commandment not to covet. And whenever I think of that reminder, it's a release, a release from a pressure of my my natural human instincts. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a hard commandment to keep, but but emotionally, spiritually, I feel so much better when I remember I I don't have to covet. I can live, and I'm only accountable for myself. Thank you, James.、Uh, I want to get some thoughts from the audience on how have you seen God's mercy. Through the commandments, Caroline. So for me, I was thinking about honoring thy mother and thy father, and I lost my parents. It's gonna be ten years.、Uh, when I look back at my parents, and they have such a beautiful life, and and taught us all the commandments, and strive us to to make us to be there in the church and everything. So now with my children, I think it's a great time for me to. To show them the commandments and teach them, and they would do for themselves how God merciful is and how the experiences and the blessings the commandment will bring to their lives. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that because I think we can draw a lot and learn a lot about the nature of of God through our own experiences with our children. Okay, so we've talked about how God shows His mercy through commandments, but that's not the only way. What other ways do we see? God manifests Himself as a merciful God, other than keep the commandments. Naita. Well, we behave like you know human beings, right? When we don't, and keep the we when we do not keep the commandments, there are consequences. And yet He's still there, loving us, protecting us, and He will never leave us alone. He will love us no matter what, but we have to learn from our mistakes. I think that's his way of saying, "I've told you this, not to do this," but and yet you went and did that. But I am here, and here's another chance. I love that. Thank you. So going back to the narrative of these these commandments, are there any specific commandments that we wanted to touch on that we can really learn and see the mercy of God manifest? You know, we talked a little bit about this—the commandment of, of, and it was mentioned here,、uh, loving or honoring our father and mother. And I, it's really interesting that Paul in the New Testament refers back to this. And in Ephesians, he says the, it was the the first、uh, commandment with a blessing. It actually states the blessing that thy days may be long upon the land. But I've learned over the years, and there's always difficult times between children and parents, and I think that's pretty natural. If there's a situation where that wasn't the case, it's a great blessing、yeah. for you. But I remember,、uh, you know, even as I got older, there were some difficult times with,、uh, especially with my dad, and he just had a different way of viewing things than I did. And there were some times that we had some disagreements, but I always felt a great desire to honor him, and I tried to do as much as I could to honor him. And I remember being with him in the very last, very last moments of his life. And expressing my love to him and my gratitude to him, and the very last words I heard him say in mortality was, "I love you." And、um, he honored me by saying that. 
And uh, I'll never forget that as long as I live. And Brother Newman, how has that experience and others that you've had with your father and with your own children, mm -hmm. how has that helped and increased your understanding of God and his mercy towards us? Well, when you, you think about our Heavenly Father, he is our father. Mm -hmm. And the family unit replicates our heavenly family. And so we're here learning in the exact same environment that we had before we lived here and, and what we will live in after this, and it's the family. And it's this microcosm of how we learn to become more like God and the difficulties that you go through and the emotions and, and those types of things. But I think it's merciful that the Lord allows us to experience what it's like to be a son, to experience like what it's like to be a sibling, to experience what it's like to be a father or mother. Yeah, and I think there's an interesting principle there. Sometimes with commandments, with, we think it's just simple, yes and no. Sometimes it takes some creativity to figure out what does this look like in my situation. Mm -hmm. If your parents have died, you're honoring them in a different way than if they're right there alive. When you have differences, you've got to figure out I'm not necessarily living exactly the life that my dad would want me to, right? Mm -hmm. But what does it still mean for me to find the ways that I can honor him? And I think God in all of us sees the, the best parts of us and the things we can do. And I just have a strong testimony that God can work with that. And so as we think about the commandments and the way God is merciful and blesses us, he doesn't just bless us for the commandments that we keep. He blesses us for, for the times when our hearts reach out toward them. And I really do think that, that is an ultimate sign of his mercy, knowing that, look, we're not gonna be perfect at this, but we're trying. I'm really excited to dive into specifically the commandments and other parts of these chapters in the footnotes portion of this episode. What I really appreciated today is when we were talking about God's mercy, the first thing I thought of was, well, repentance, naturally, you know, that's part of it. And it is a part of it, but I also gained a better understanding today that uh, God is also merciful to us when we make mistakes before we're ready to, to acknowledge them. Today discussing mercy, it, it was a very uh, special uh, subject for me because it hits home. It hits home because I know I haven't, you know, we're not perfect as human, we're not perfect, but the Lord is there to help us, to give us commitments, to give us guidance, to help us go into the right path, even if sometimes we go trying to go the wrong way. He's always there to help us go His way, loving us and showing us mercy. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes, and we want to especially welcome our new guest, Tammy Uzalak Hall. Welcome, Tammy. Hi, thank you. So Tammy is a host of a podcast. Yes. Uh, you taught seminary for eight years, yes. uh, and you're an author. Uh, yes. I, I'm going to give you a chance. Just brag about yourself for a little bit, okay, Tammy? <laughs> All right. Um, well, I'm just, I do, I host a podcast, and we definitely dig into the scriptures, which is so fun for me because I did teach seminary, and I've been studying Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, for the past seven years. Well, we're real excited to, to learn from you today and to get your insights. And uh, let's just dive right in. Yes. Uh, James, you want to uh, start us off with uh, 19. Uh, I think we're looking in verses 4 through 6, that area. So here, as they're preparing to go up on Sinai, the Lord says, You've seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, 
If ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. What I love about verse six is when it says, ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. In Hebrew, that is actually translated as a collective plural, which means it's involving everybody there. It's not a masculine plural. So collective means men and women alike, you are going to become a kingdom of priests. And we, some of us are familiar with this wording, a kingdom of priests and priestesses. So we're talking about women too, to be a holy nation. And I am so grateful for that inclusion because that is really important for women to recognize that they have a place here and in section 84, which is the oath and the covenant of the priesthood. Yeah, and if you remember President Nelson, he invited the, the sisters to read two sections of the Doctrine and Covenant, section 25 and section 84. He says, and I want you to learn about how you have power in the priesthood in your own lives as sisters. Mm -hmm. And if you, just like you said, Tammy, section 84 specifically is the oath and covenant of the priesthood. As a stake president, I always talked to the young men when they were going on missions about the open covenant priesthood and when they became elders. And over time, just like you said, James, we start to learn differently about how scriptures apply to the things that we are involved in at that particular time. You start to learn, and President Nelson has really been pushing this forward, is how are the sisters, how do they receive priesthood power in their callings and in their lives as wives and mothers and as part of the covenant people. It's beautiful. Very beautiful. And I think section 84 is interesting because it's referring back to Exodus, yes. right? Yeah. The same way that the people were supposed to enter the presence of God, mm -hmm. uh, we're repeating that, mm -hmm. that process. And even earlier, what I love is section 84, the connection here is in Exodus 18, when we learn about Jethro, it was so cool for me to realize that that is who Moses got his priesthood from, is his father-in-law. Yeah. He had to marry into, he needed Zipporah in order to be able to come to, like, to understand priesthood. That, that role, that role that she played in his life, I just think it's neat. There are five women in Moses' life, and we talk about how Pharaoh's daughter saved Moses, but there are five women who saved Moses, yep. his mom, his sister, and Zipporah is one of them, and it's through that priesthood line. I just think it's so powerful. Well, and I think that's a really significant part of what connects our experience today back to the children of Israel and Moses. So one, one reading and one meaning of what it means to be a kingdom of priests is where everybody takes on that role. And I know that's one things people notice about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that we all step up, right? We're all trying to, to take roles, fulfill callings, exercise, God's power and, and be part of his work in that, in that priestly way. Mm -hmm. Another way people have read this phrase of kingdom of priests is when God says, all the earth is mine, right? It's all God's kids, but he wants to call some people and gather them together so that they can serve the others. Mm -hmm. So in other words, as a people, as a church, how can we minister to others? How can we be priestly, even beyond the bounds of, of the rhythms of our faith. And interesting, when you, when you look at the footnote for priest, it goes to the mission of Israel, and when you click on the mission of Israel, it says, the mission of the Latter-day Saints. Mm. In this gathering of Israel and being the covenant people that will go out 
and bless the lives. Just like you said, James, that you will, he gathers this group that will then help to bring all people to Christ. Yeah. Well, I just have to ask Ben, tell us your story about what it looks like in real time to be a priest to the people, because you're doing something like that with a group. Yeah, so one of my jobs uh, working for seminaries and institutes is I teach institutes specifically uh, with a group of Polynesians. Mm -hmm. And so for them, we teach how Polynesians teach. We communicate with them in the way that we communicate with each other. And there's just a level of comfort. I know how they're, they were, they're being raised because right. that's how I was raised. I know the customs and the cultures. And when they see that, not only with me as a teacher, but with each other, it really allows us to help them say, okay, let's go gather now that we can strengthen each other and where we feel comfortable, now let's go gather others and use those natural gifts that we have. So it's, it's a really beautiful program that we have. That's, That's nice. so great. I love that idea of a branch. Just a reminder, when it talks about being a holy nation, being part of a people matters, mm -hmm. right? And I think in the 21st century, sometimes we get cut down to this very individual level and, and maybe the most important part of us as far as society is concerned is as a consumer, yeah. <laughs> right? What can I sell to you? But, but to say, how do I learn after the manner of my language? And how does the Lord speak to me that way? And how do I strengthen others and, and bring everyone into this connected, integrated whole? So as we're talking about this kingdom of priests, uh, what is the connection now specifically as we go back to Moses and his people? What I love about this scenario in Exodus chapter 19 is here's Moses. They have just come from Egypt and now they're setting up camp. And the beauty in this is that they're now a family. And this is really important for us to recognize and understand is because the social structure in the Old Testament is based on kinship or family. And what that looks like is when you would get married, when Moses joined Jethro's family, let's start with that. He marries Zipporah and they didn't, you know, Jethro didn't say, welcome to our family and now go on out and, you know, like we here's do today. Here's your tent, yeah, go set up with, over here. Yeah, here's your tent, go set up over there and here's all the gifts you got at the wedding reception. <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was welcome to our family and now we're going to add on a part to our tent so you can live with us. And actually, my mom's side of the family is from India. A lot of people in the world yes. still live that way, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. That it's multiple generations mm -hmm. and you kind of learn a whole way to let people into your life. For Moses and Zipporah and Jethro, right? It's not just that Moses and Zipporah are married, they have a relationship. You marry the family, you marry yep. the person, you marry the family, and there's all these obligations that go with that. And you would do that through a covenant, mm -hmm. kind of like we do. It was this actual covenant you would make with the family and it was binding. And it's so cool because it was this law that you then had to live, which is where we get the in-law name. When you marry into that family, you are in that law with that family, isn't that fun? And that means from that point on, that head of that family, Jethro, or the kinsman of the family, he will protect you. He will pay your debts. Yeah. He will get you out of slavery. Wow. He will feed you. He will lead you into battle. And I love how it says, he will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. That's how serious this kinship is. Yeah. I think one thing you said too, Tammy, which was really interesting, is the model of this family relationship is really tied into the family of God. And, and I love the fact that you talked about they were bound by covenant. And Elder Bednar, in his last conference talk, he talks about binding ourselves to Christ through our covenants. Mm -hmm. And if you take the binding of this family, 
and you think about binding ourselves to God's family through Christ, through our ordinances and covenants, is how we bind ourselves to Christ. There's a great relationship there to what you just talked about with Moses and Jethro and that family. I love that you just brought that up through Christ, because how cool is this? When Moses meets Jethro, the first thing Jethro does is say, I'm gonna have you be a shepherd. Mm. Where Jethro had plenty of people to watch his sheep. But he's like, I just want you to be in charge of that. It's almost like Jethro knew Moses needed this shepherding experience because Moses one tells us that Moses was in similitude of the savior. Mm -hmm. And here he is again as a shepherd. And then when we go to Exodus 18, after everything wonderful happened and Moses tells Jethro, you're not gonna believe he, I just, I'd love to have been at that tent. Oh, <laughs> you won't believe what happened. It's the craziest story. And then he opens the Red Sea and you know, he's like, the Red Sea, that's huge. I mean, it just would have been so fun. And, and you can tell how excited Jethro is in Exodus chapter 18, verse nine. Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness. Like he's so happy about that. And then I love 11 and 12 that they then offer a sacrifice and they have a sacred meal together. But it's interesting because in verse 12, it says, and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering. It should have been Moses. They're in Moses' tent. Mm. But how beautiful that Moses recognizes, no, Jethro's the great high priest. He's in charge. And that is what the Savior does. And I think sometimes we can feel like if I'm not able to do it myself, I'm not good enough. So we're, we're trying to do everything just on our own and we miss some opportunities mm -hmm. to connect with others. I think of Joseph Smith, when he's in Liberty Jail, one of the comforts God gives knowing Joseph Smith and the sort of person he was is, people are still gonna come to you for counsel, right? He's stuck on his own, he's in jail, he misses them. Mm -hmm. And that knowing that you have a relationship where people will come to you for counsel, where you'll be able to lean on them, that's a significant part as we sort of weave together our discipleship to be this people God wants us to be. I love that you just brought up that experience with Joseph in Liberty Jail because the first thing he says is, oh God, where art thou and where is the pavilion of thy hiding place? That's the tent. So now here we have Moses and his people. They've been through such a hardship mm -hmm. coming from Egypt. Now they're here at Mount Sinai and they don't know what they're about to get, but it's going to be amazing. And before they can get it, Moses is like, let me just talk to you first. Let's just all settle down. You know, I know you just complained you didn't have enough water or food, but <laughs> it's going to get better. And we now go into Exodus chapter 19. And this is where we have such a crazy word, right? Seminary students love this word because they're like, why would I want to be a member if I'm a weirdo? Because you have that word peculiar. Yeah, and uh, President Hinckley, he talks about the significance of the word peculiar and how it shouldn't be one of those like, I don't wanna be a weirdo, <laughs> but it gives another meaning to it. So what can we draw from this desire to become a peculiar people? Well, yeah, let's read that verse in verse five. Sure. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, I have to stop at the word obey because in Hebrew, it's the word shema, which means to hearken or listen. There's no separate word for obey in Hebrew. Mm. So he's saying, now, therefore, if you will listen, if you will pay attention, and then if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall become a peculiar treasure. We've already been talking about, about family and kin relationships, and I just read that as like, we're special, right? Like we're, yeah. we're okay. chosen, there's this intimacy. You're, you're my special treasure, right? I'm curious, <laughs> where do you see this idea of becoming a peculiar people when you're dealing with those mm -hmm. all across the world how do you help them to feel that you are a special treasure? 
And one of the things I love is when you, when you're with the members of the church and they have all these different cultures and who they are and they're his peculiar people. President uh, Oaks talks about that we can't let our cultures and traditions become what the church is to us. Mm -hmm. we, sometimes we have to put those things aside and really tie ourselves and bind ourselves to the Lord. But the thing I love is they bring all of this goodness of who they are and what they've been in their entire lives. But it's a great blessing to see how they have become the covenant people of the Lord throughout the entire world. I think sometimes in the church there can be a tendency to let American culture things slip in mm -hmm. and treat those as the default. But being a covenant people together means learning to have that shared common ground that is what's the basic covenantal truth and then finding ways to link what can we bring and what are the strengths from our cultures, right? Yeah. I mean, you're very familiar yeah. with that yeah. kind of work. Absolutely. And I think that work, it's real work to learn to be a people together. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's happening in very small groups where you get together and you just sort out, how do we make sense of this? How do I, how do I bring what's significant to me and, and be part of this people and have that shared identity that binds us and links these other parts of our identity. And not, mm -hmm. not to try to exclude ourselves, right. but how can I use this individuality to include uh, myself and to bless the overall work that we're trying to perform? I, I think it's part of the leaven mm -hmm. that the Savior talks about. We bring in all of these different ways of looking to the Savior, and it just leavens the entire church. It brings this, mm -hmm. and, and the savor of the salt, all those things that the Savior taught. And, and I think sometimes we do want to say, hey, this is really how the church works. And at the end of the day, that in, yeah. you take a really small branch in Africa where the church is growing like crazy. Are we gonna try and make them look like a ward in Provo, Utah? We shouldn't. Right. They, in fact, the new handbook of instructions takes a different view of how you organize the church. It used to say, this is what you do. And then if you're in a small, scale it down. Now. The church is taking the tact of, you're small and this is what you do. Yeah, what's that basic this unit? This is the basic fundamental unit of the church. And then if you're in a larger situation, here's some other things you do, but everybody should feel like this is what the church is. Yeah. And we think of that as a new problem, but Jethro is not an Israelite. Right. Zipporah is not an Israelite. Yeah. Moses spent these formative years among the Midianites and sometimes they're enemies of Israel, right? They're mm -hmm. fighting and yet their family. Yep. I think it's interesting what Moses named his sons. Oh, absolutely. At the beginning of chapter 18, when so they're fun. reunited, we get this review. Um, so it says in verse two, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, uh, of which the name of the one was Gershom. For he said, I have been an alien in a strange land. So the name Gershom is this reminder that Moses felt like a stranger in a strange land and was working to find a home and to figure out how to bring who he was as an Israelite and fit into a Midianite family. Oh, I love it. And then that. the second son, the name of the other was Eliezer. Oh, yeah. For the God of my father said he was mine help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And in Hebrew, Eliezer is El is God and Azer is help. And so really his name means God was my help, which 
I love because I love the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Mm -hmm. When he says, here I raise my Ebenezer, you're like, what's Ebenezer Scrooge doing in a church? (laughs) But I love because Ebenezer is Hebrew. Eben means rock. Azer means help. Here I bring my rock of help. Here I bring Jesus Christ. And I think that there are going to be times when we feel like strangers in strange lands, when we feel like we've been cast out. But God is our help, and he can teach us how to bring things back together. And I'm, re- I'm reminded of, uh, in section 82 of the Doctrine and Covenants, there was a word when we're talking about Zion. He says, for Zion must increase, and in holiness, her borders must be enlarged. This idea, oh, it must be strengthened. This idea, this isn't just a, yeah, if it happens, it happens. It's like, no, 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 this must happen Mm -hmm. if I'm going to fulfill my work and my glory. And that's the tent in Moroni chapter 10, verse 31. Moroni doesn't have a lot of time to write or space, and yet he is going to sneak in verse 31 where he's going to say, by the way, enlarge your borders and strengthen your stakes, which I love what you shared. Mm -hmm. That is what it looks like. For all of these churches worldwide, we don't need you to look like us. We just want you to be with us. So come into our tent, because we are hurrying as fast as we can to make another part to add on to that tent, because that's a lot of material we got to make. And what is, to to connect us to modern times, what has President Nelson said is the most important work we can be involved in right now. Gathering. The gathering of Israel. I think what God wants us to know is that we have a significant relationship that matters, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes in the Bible and elsewhere, it can get interpreted as, oh, we're better, right? So I had a friend who asked me this question once. He said, okay, if we're the one true church, why did God tell us that? (laughs) Didn't he know that sometimes it was going to go to our heads and make us disrespectful of others? I think, though, that this is the reason it would be so easy to get comfortable and just stick with, I've got a tent, I've got my people in it, we've Mm -hmm. got our our happy little Mm -hmm. church, right? Mm -hmm. But God told us, you have something peculiar, right? You have this unique commission, and I need you to stretch beyond your comfort zone to go find others and make space for them. You're not allowed to just settle with your church for you and the people you know. You always have to be pushing that step further to welcome others. So what does that look like? How do we you know, make practical use of it? Because we have, you know, sometimes in, the, in this culture of, you know, you, you only associate with those, you know, we say standard, the, the, and the For the Strength of You pamphlet talks about associating and dating those with, of similar standards, but sometimes we, we misinterpret that as of the same faith or mm-hmm. religion. And so how do we navigate through trying not to be influenced against what we believe, yet having that inclusive mindset of, look, we're all a part of God's family. Yeah. You know, one of my greatest opportunities with my family, we've, my, my family, we've, our kids grew up in Utah. Uh, they went to a high school where most of the kids were members. Well, in 2006, we got called by the prophet to go to Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> wow. And it was a little difficult. And my, my daughter was called Cammie the Mormon in her classes. Mm. And she would have to stand up for the church the first time in her entire life. Wow. But yet they would go on dates with the kids from school that were members of the church. We started to befriend people and had people over to the mission home that were members of the church. That was what we were there for. And I watched these members and how they would welcome people in. And they would see someone and they would run to them and say, tell me your name and who are you and what are you, you know, and the missionaries were there, but when the members 
put their arm around those people, that's when we saw miracles happen. And you'd mentioned a little bit that some people may have this anxiety about, are there gonna be bad influences on me? Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that can be helpful is the clearer you are about your convictions, the easier it's gonna be to expand those borders. I had lots of friends who were not living my values, but they respected that I was. Mm -hmm. Because as long as I wasn't shy about it, and then I don't feel threatened at all, right? right. Mm -hmm. And so I think we can always be comfortable reaching out if we have the confidence that elicits that mutual respect. I love that. I have an experience in my own with this enlarging borders. Um, so I married a widower, and that meant I married into two little girls mm -hmm. and a whole other family. And I remember people were saying to me, are you, you're not still gonna do stuff with her family, are you? And at first thought, I'm like, no, cause I'm gonna start my own family and we're gonna do our own traditions. And the experience for me was so beautiful and it was exactly what we're talking about with this tent. They enlarged their borders for me. Like they added on a room to that tent and said, you are welcome in our family. And I loved that. And I think what it took, and going back to the question that you asked, what is the, how can we do this? For us to do what we did and for them to do what they did, it took swallowing our pride. It took letting go of grief and anger, all that had accompanied losing their daughter to cancer. And my own grief, you know, I mean, I didn't get married till I was 35 and I finally get to start this family. And I'm like, oh, and now I got to be reminded that he was married before and I'm not as great. And every time I go to the house, there's just a friend up for her. And, you know, I just, I, I had to like really just swallow my pride and learn to love. And I love these people so much. They are my third family. And I think that that is how we do it. We have to let go of these ideas of what we think it should be like. Mm -hmm. And we have to let go of our pride and let the Lord enter our hearts to go, this is family. And I hope that's part of what we want to make it easier for people to recognize that there's a peculiar treasure here. Mm -hmm. And I think when we find these ways to connect with others, that's part of what allows somebody else to recognize, man, the gospel is working in their life, right? Yeah. I can see that not only in their conduct, but in the love they share and in their openness to others. We are, the Ten Commandments are in this section. And so often I think we jump straight to that, but look at the beauty that lies within some of these chapters mm -hmm. that precede the Ten Commandments. Thank you so much for yeah. all your contributions to today's episode. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. And we want to remind you and continue to invite you that if you have felt something today, that you will follow those promptings and that you will listen to the Holy Ghost, however he chooses to speak to you. Thanks again for being with us. Please join us next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.